This week's memory verse uh, for our church family was Malachi 3.10. I don't know um, if you're still tracking on those memory verses. I hope you are. If you're behind, I hope uh, you work hard between now and the end of the year to um, commit these verses together. We chose uh, 52 uh, verses for the year to memorize and um, looking forward a few days I'll share a date with you if you have memorized those 52 verses we're going to have a dinner together and uh, you will not have to stand and say all 52 of those verses in front of everybody but uh, you might get a random uh, selection uh, and uh, we'll, uh, we'll celebrate together not punish one another uh, on these uh, verses but Malachi 3.10 says, Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that you will not have room enough for it. So I worked on that verse this week. I was convicted by something um, as your pastor that I haven't done. Now, I'm not about to tell you that I haven't been giving. I am telling you that I haven't been talking to you about giving. And why would I apologize for that? I'd apologize for that and say I'm sorry for that because of the very promise that's in this verse. Well, the Lord says, test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that you will not have room enough for it. It seems like if this is a promised blessing from the Lord, that he will do that kind of thing in our giving, we ought to talk about it a lot more. We ought to celebrate the activity of giving and the blessing of giving. And we've been given so much. And I just want to say that in front of you and celebrate what God does. You cannot outgive God. You have seen that. You've, you've experienced that in your life, the way he blesses when we return what's his to him for his use. And uh, so for a long time, we've, it, it's strange that it would almost seem out of place uh, to talk about giving for a long time or it's all the way back to COVID we we've changed kind of our giving patterns and the way we've talked about giving and I just I wanted to acknowledge this verse that we've had to memorize together this week the blessings of what happens when we give to remind you that the way we give as a church family right now is that when you leave on the way out of these doors you'll see white boxes there that are marked offering and it's put there as a place for you to put your gifts to be used for ministry through the life of this church, a place for us to be obedient in our giving of offerings and tithes. If you don't give in those boxes, we also give through uh, online digitally by going to watkinsville.org give or by putting something in the mail to P.O. Box 228, Watkinsville. And uh, I just I want to... Uh, just mention those things to us with this memory verse in front of us. Let's pray together. Father, when we 
come into this room today just singing these songs of salvation, of where our faith is built. Lord Jesus, we praise you and exalt you because you are the one that saves. By your grace, you have given to us so much more than we ever deserve. Lord, we're sinners in need of a savior, in need of a relationship with you, and thank you for making that possible through Christ. It is finished. It is done. And we celebrate that today. Thank you for the promises in your word that are tied to us returning to you what you've given to us. We pray, Lord, that you would show us your faithfulness even as we give and we see a promise like this that you will open up the floodgates of heaven. Lord, for your glory, for your praise, for your namesake, we, we grab a hold of that promise. And Father, we pray that you would use the gifts that are given. They would be multiplied. You'd use them for the advancement of your kingdom, the exaltation of your name the proclaiming of your word. Lord, we pray that today in this room, that if there is anyone striving and struggling with salvation, that today you would bring peace, assurance, and the glory of knowing that our salvation once received is secure forever. Father, I pray that if anyone in this room does not have a personal relationship with you through Jesus Christ, they would hear clearly by your spirit that the work has been done on the cross, that Jesus paid it all. And I pray today someone would receive you through faith. And so, Lord, today we pray you would do work that lasts forever. In Jesus' name, amen. I want to bring to a close today our Good to Know series with this last message in this series. And I can foresee that somewhere out there in the days ahead that we might have an occasional message that you could fit into this category of something being good to know. But today I want to wrap this particular group of messages up by sharing with you that it's good to know our salvation once received is forever secure. It's good to know that our salvation once received is forever secure. Last week you Maybe thinking of and say, wait, didn't we cover that last week? And I would remind you that last week we talked about the specific truth of that it's good to know we can know we are saved. We were talking about the subject of assurance, that we can live with the assurance in our spirit that we are saved. We don't have to wonder about it. We don't have to strive through it. We don't have to live with 
doubts, we can have assurance of our salvation. When I told someone I was preaching on that subject last week, they said, uh, does that mean you're going to preach through the whole book of 1 John next Sunday? And the reason someone might ask that question is because in the last chapter of 1 John, he says, these things I've written unto you so that you may know that you have eternal life. We didn't preach through the whole book of 1 John, but we did look at several verses in that book. Today, when I say that I want to speak to you on the subject of eternal security in our salvation, the question should not be, are you going to preach through the entire book of 1 John? The question should be, are you going to preach through the whole Bible today? And as I think about this subject and pray through this subject and study through this subject and realize from Genesis to Revelation, the whole counsel of God is showing us and teaching us that our salvation, once received by grace through faith, is forever secure. It is a story of the offer of salvation. It is the story of the reception of salvation. It is the story of the perseverance in salvation. Genesis to Revelation. Once grace is received and we are saved through faith, our sins are forgiven. His righteousness is credited to our account. We pass from death to life. All things made new. That salvation is guaranteed. We sang a couple of songs this morning already that had the word striving in it. And it's a glorious truth that you and I who have placed our faith in the death of Jesus Christ, the atoning death of Jesus Christ, We don't have to live onward until we see him face to face with a sense of striving for that salvation. We have received a gift from him. When you look at the story of Noah and the ark or the story of Abraham and Lot or the story of Jonah and the Ninevites, when you read the gospel of John or the verses of Romans or the passages of Hebrews, or the final judgment seen in Revelation, the whole counsel of God points to the truth that a sinner saved by grace will be a sinner saved forever. That is good news. We're speaking of eternal security. Some might refer to this as the doctrine of perseverance. What is perseverance what is the this idea of persevering saints or having eternal security thomas watson many many years ago said perseverance in grace means the heavenly inheritance is kept for the saints and they are kept for the inheritance Though the saints may come to that pass, that they have but little faith, yet not to have no faith. Though their grace may be drawn low, yet it is not drawn dry. Though grace may be abated, it is not abolished. Though the wise virgins slumbered, yet their lamps were not quite gone out. Perseverance means that once one is in the family of God, 
he or she is always in that family. Hallelujah. So I want to invite you to open your Bibles to John chapter 6. And I want to approach Scripture in a little bit of a different format today. I do want to invite you to open your Bibles to John chapter 6, but I would invite you also to put something there. Hold your place, because I'm not going to read from John chapter 6 in the beginning or for the next few minutes. I want to just talk with you for a little while. I want to share some words with you and an occasional reference to different scriptures. And you may feel like by the time this morning's over that you have been in some kind of third grade Bible drill. As we um, look at different passages of scripture. But in the end, we'll come back to John 6. I want to give you three reasons why it is good to know our salvation is secure. And then I want to give to you seven pieces of evidence that convince my heart that we are saved once salvation is received forever. First of all, three reasons why it's good to know our salvation is secure. Number one, because of the peace that it provides because of the peace that it provides. We might say, well, it's not so important that we know whether or not salvation lasts forever as long as we know that we have salvation. I would offer to you that it's important to know that our salvation is secure once received because of the peace that it provides. There's a lot of stressed out believers today. You may be one of those that are missing out on God's Great gift of peace that passes all understanding. Because you live with some kind of sense, have I done too much? Have I done so much wrong that I have lost my salvation? Have I crossed some kind of line where I have gone from being born again to being dead again? But having looked at scripture and seen that our salvation is secure, you will find that there is a supernatural peace that encompasses our heart and thoughts about what Jesus has done in salvation. I love to think about salvation as being a relationship with the Lord where we are declared saved, sealed, and secure. Are you looking today for some peace that seems hard to find in your relationship with the Lord? It could be tied to the fact that you've never settled into this conviction that once salvation is received, it is secure forever. So when we talk about salvation, we're talking about Jesus Christ who died for our sins, who paid for all sins of the past, all sins present and all sin in the future for us when I trusted Christ as my Lord and Savior as a junior in college what about those times when I have sinned 
since then. What covers those sins? The same blood of Jesus Christ that covered the sins that I had committed up until that point is the same blood that covers my sin into the future and forever. See, Pastor, that sounds like a dangerous doctrine. In fact, I've got an email this week from some of you in this room would know Darrell Rice. His son, David, sent me a, a little quote. He said, I saw where you're preaching on the security of the believer. He said, I mentioned that doctrine one time to somebody, and they said, I love that doctrine because I'm going to believe in Jesus and then sin all I want to. And the reality is, is that if we have believed in Jesus Christ genuinely for our salvation, we can sin all we want to. Because the desire of our heart will be to reject sin, to run from sin. It's not a dangerous doctrine. It's a dynamic doctrine. It's a securing doctrine. It is a truth from God's word that he's not hiding from us but will bring us great peace number two a reason for that it's good to know that our salvation is secure is because of the effectiveness that it produces I'm certain that Satan's schemes to have us living in some sense of trying to continue to wrestle through salvation without any sense of security or assurance is an attempt by Satan to render us ineffective in our walk with Christ, in our witness for Christ, in our living for Christ. How effective are we going to be as ambassadors for Christ if we are constantly wrestling through whether or not we have believed enough or done enough or, or we secure enough or will God... Uh, say that's enough what if we don't know enough how effective would an American ambassador be for his country if he was constantly wrestling through whether or not he was really for America if he was really in as a citizen I think a verse in Philemon where Paul says, I want you to be active in sharing your faith, effective in sharing your faith, so that you may know all that you have. A third reason for us to know that it is good to know that our salvation is secure, the peace it provides, the effectiveness that it produces, and number three, because of the glory of God it pictures. As believers in Jesus Christ, if we live a life where we are not believing and trusting in the security of our salvation, what are we saying about our God? Are we saying that he's too weak to hold us? That he can be overcome by sin? That he can be defeated by the enemy? That his children are not safe when we sing and declare and read scripture that we become children of God through salvation? Does this point to a father or a God who cannot protect, shield, or defend, or save forever his children? This confidence of a security of our faith is based on who God is and what God does. Michael Barrett, a professor at Midwestern 
Theological Seminary says that it is the character and power of God that first gives us the confidence that our salvation is secure. We may be tempted to put too much emphasis on our character and our power to be saved. Where scripture would lead us to put the emphasis not on our character and our power to remain saved, but to put our emphasis on God's character and his power to keep us saved. There is a keeping power of God. And so the reasons for us, at least these three, and perhaps more that you would find as you walk through Scripture, is that it provides peace and it produces effectiveness in our life for the glory of God. And we're able to demonstrate who God is with this truth settled in our heart. What's the evidence that we can be sure our salvation is secure? Number one, the character of God. The character of God. God's word teaches us in James 1.17 that, that God is immutable, that he's unchanging. He says every good and perfect gift comes down from the Father above who does not change like shifting shadows. We look around as the sun moves, as the leaves move, as objects move, shadows move. And he paints the picture that we have a God that over time, regardless of how circumstances change, that he doesn't change. That he is, as the word says, the same yesterday, today, and forever. The character of God, he keeps his promises. He has his purposes and he is perfect in all he does. And today when I think about the evidence of my salvation being secure, it is based first and foremost on the character of God, a promise-keeping God, a purpose-fulfilling God, a perfect God who is unchanging. Amen. Number two, there's the evidence of the power of God. The power of God is unmatched. Genesis 18, 14 the question is asked of Abram at that time before he became Abraham. Is there anything too hard for the Lord? Let me ask you today in your salvation, is it too hard for God to keep you saved until the day that you see him face to face? Absolutely not. Greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. We have a God that is powerful. And number three... There is the evidence of the nature of the life we have been given. For God so loved the world, John 3, 16, that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him will not perish, but have what? Depending on what generation you are or what version, it could be everlasting or eternal. And I would offer to you that the nature of the life that we've been given is eternal life. I love what Dr. Rogers says, that eternal life is not something we receive when we die. Eternal life is something we receive when we believe. And when we believe that Jesus Christ is the one that God sent, the Christ, the Messiah, the gift back to him is not life for this day as long as you don't blow it. It is eternal life 
We've received that gift. We've passed from death to eternal life. And when my body stops breathing and I open my spiritual eyes in heaven, I will not have begun eternal life. I will be continuing eternal life. And what kind of life would it be if we could be in eternal life or out of eternal life? We could do so much wrong or Satan could accomplish so many of his schemes in our life. What if God abandoned us? That's not eternal life. It would be called some other kind of life. The very nature of the life we've been given points to the eternal security of a believer. Number four, the intercession of Christ. What is the evidence that our salvation is secure? I have a Savior that not only died for me and was buried for me and rose again for me and ascended to heaven for me. This same Savior is at the right hand of the Father doing what? Interceding for me. What's your estimate of how many prayers of Jesus will be answered? Most, some, nine out of ten, at the right hand of the Father, he lives, Romans chapter 8, to make intercession for us. As he pleads our case before the Father that his blood has covered us by grace through faith. We can trust an interceding Savior. Number five, the sealing of the Holy Spirit. In Ephesians chapter one, we're told that when we believe that we are sealed by the Holy Spirit, it's a guarantee of the deposit that has been given to us. And a seal was used in a picturesque way by the Apostle Paul there it's because a seal was something that marked something as genuine and secure. Number six, the evidence that we can be sure our salvation is secure, number six, is the finished work of the cross. And our worship team this morning has done a beautiful job of declaring that truth. The finished work of the cross. Hebrews chapter nine is interesting. Sometimes we... We think of the difficult passages that come up related to eternal security. We think of Hebrews 6, maybe Hebrews 3. But the reason those passages of Scripture can be resolved is because of what the entire book of Hebrews teaches. In Hebrews chapter 9, verse 27. It says, and just as it is appointed for man to die once, and after that comes judgment, so Christ, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time, not to deal with sin, but to save those who are eagerly waiting for him. You have the perseverance of saints demonstrated there in those who are eagerly waiting, watching for Christ. And then listen, uh, Hebrews 10, verse 14 it says, for by a single offering, he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. It speaks of the finishing work of the cross. 
my faith in Jesus Christ, believing that he paid for all my sin on the cross. The the Bible teaches in Hebrews that that work on the cross was a once and for all death. Number seven, a new position in Christ. The evidence that we can be saved and secure is our new position in Christ. 2 Corinthians 5, 17. Second Corinthians 5.17 teaches us that all things have become new. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. Our salvation is declared by Jesus to be an act described by being born again. Our position in Christ will lead to the perseverance of those who believe. Paul says, continue to work out your salvation. He doesn't, speaking in that context of Corinthians, of of, uh, working for salvation, but our daily practice matching our position in Christ. You look this way. I have for years believed in eternal security. But in many ways, I've accepted this by faith based on the words of others. Pastors that I've been influenced by, songs that I memorized in my heart, different hymns that we sung over the years became just this acceptance that once my salvation was received, my salvation was secure. When I say to you that there is a difference in my heart this morning in just accepting by faith the words of others and accepting by faith the words of the Lord. And I and I, I know others were saying I'm just I'm talking about not just hearing a song that someone else wrote or hearing a message that somebody else preached, but hearing the very word of God speak to this great truth. And so for the next few minutes, I want to read to you God's word. And I'm asking in this room to the Lord that his Holy Spirit would make the word of God alive to us, convicting to us, convincing to us, There are four key passages that speak to the security of a believer. Two passages in John, one passage in Romans, and one passage in Philippians. The two passages in John spoken by Jesus himself. The passage in Romans and the verse in Philippians spoken by the Apostle Paul. You might... Note these. I think it would be helpful for you in the days and months and years ahead until Jesus comes to be able to go quickly to references of Scripture that would remind us of the truth. And so it's John 6, 37 through 40. John 10, 27 through 30. John 6, 37 through 40. John 10, 27 through 30. And then Romans 8, 
33 through 39 and Philippians 1.6. So today, I don't want you to just take my word for it. I want you to take his word for it. I'm going to read, and I invite you to listen. John chapter 6, verse 37. Jesus speaking. All that the Father gives me will come to me. And whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. For I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. Amen. John chapter 10, verse 27. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. I and the Father are one. And then in Romans chapter 8. Beginning in verse 33. Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised. Who is at the right hand of God. Who indeed is interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake we're being killed all the day long. We're regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. Verse 37, no, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure, to love that, for I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. These verses are telling us that no sin, no suffering, no sorrow, no supernatural power can separate us from the love of God. And then Philippians 1.6, just icing on this sweet truth. Philippians chapter 1, verse 6. Once again, the apostle Paul says, I am sure. Verse 6, and I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. 
that word to us gives us the position of being able to be sure that God in his power, in his work, the one who has called us to salvation, sent his son, the one we have believed in through repentance and faith, is able, is able to complete this good work until the day we see Jesus. Amen. I want to ask our Jason and his team to come and prepare to give us a chance to celebrate this and look forward to what's ahead. When I read these four passages, I was so helped by this illustration from James Montgomery Boyce. I want to end here. Have have you heard it said before, um, that's the clincher? That that phrase, what just happened, that's the clincher? Do you know what it means to, um, to, to clinch with a nail? Maybe some carpenters in this room could explain it better, but basically it means to take pieces of wood and to drive a nail from one piece of the wood into another piece of the wood into another piece of the wood until the tip of that nail is exposed on the backside. And then that wood is turned over and the portion of the nail that is sticking out is hammered over to the left or the right. It's bent over and pressed against the wood from the bottom side. And that's called clenching with a nail. The wood was being held by just the nail going through all pieces. But when you drive it all the way through and you bend it over on the backside, you basically have created even a firmer and tighter hold. You have clenched the wood. These four passages that I just read to us are like four nails in this truth of eternal security. And you read in John chapter 6. You read that passage of scripture where Jesus is speaking. In John chapter 10 where Jesus is speaking. You hear him make statements like my Sheep know my voice. No one can snatch them out of my hand. When you hear the Apostle Paul say, nothing can separate us from the love of God. And you hear the promise from God's word that he will be faithful to complete this good work. It's like he's driven four nails into this truth of eternal security. Just turned it over, bent it down cleansed once our salvation is received it is forever secure one of the hymns that I learned uh, many years ago you probably know it too is written by David Webster Whittle it says I know whom I have believed it's a song that has as a chorus the verse right out of 2 Timothy. Just in poetic fashion, just listen to these words. He says, I know not why God's wondrous grace to me he hath made known, nor why unworthy Christ in love redeemed me for his own. 
I know not how this saving faith to me he did impart, nor how believing in his word wrought peace within my heart. I know not how the Spirit moves convincing men of sin, revealing Jesus through the word, creating faith in him. I know not when my Lord may come at night or noonday fair, nor if I'll walk the veil with him or meet him in the air. But I know whom I have believed and am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I've committed unto him against that day. What day? The day when Jesus comes. That's where we're going to sing this morning. I want you to stand. I want you to worship. And I want you to relish in this truth that once your salvation is received, it is secure until the day we see him. Let's sing.